0: I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, and to look at a verse with me tonight that really needs no introduction, needs no real explanation by and large, because it is so straightforward, and um, it is so straightforward and so well-known and probably memorized by just about everybody in this audience. It's almost, you know, why would you even want to preach on this, because we, we know this verse. We've heard it so many times. We've shared this verse with however many people in our lives. And yet, really in light of uh, this past year and where it seems that things are going, and where things are in our culture and in the world today, this is a very appropriate passage to look at. I, I, I call to your mind some of you that are aware of what has happened or transpired at Wheaton College in the last several weeks, we one of the professors there, a doctor, Professor uh, Hawkins, who stated on her Facebook as she wore a hajj and, uh, in solidarity with, with Muslims. And I would stand in solidarity with anybody who is persecuted, in that myself. But she stated in her Facebook page, quote, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because lo- they, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same same God. Well... Wheaton, as you know, gave uh, decided that Professor Hawkins should take some time off and think through her theology just a little bit. And in the process of doing that, they, uh, they incurred the wrath of the Chicago Tribune, which stated in very emphatically that this was just bigotry towards Muslims and really had nothing to do with, with good theology. The unfortunate part of that is, is, is that they get some of that from other professors. One of the leading ones, a professor, uh, at Yale University, who has said, we worship the same God. Allah and the God of the Bible are one and the same. And that seems to be pretty much the general sentiment of the American public and many people in the Western world, that they are the same. And of course, if the Pope says it, and the Quran, the Quran agrees, in Surah 29, 46, it said this, our God and your God is one, and unto him we surrender. And so if the Quran asserts, and the Pope asserts that they're the same God. They most certainly must be, correct? Well, I think it misses a, a few things, and we're going to look at those tonight. Because the Christians believe that Jesus Christ is God, right? But the Quran says that is not so. In fact, it is a doctrine from hell, and, and the wor- worshipers of Jesus will be condemned to hell if they worship him as, as God. That is in Surah 5, 7 Seventy-two. It's also there's a difference between the Islamic God and the Christian God that's quite personal, and that is the fatherhood of God. According to Jesus, God is our father, yet the Quran very specifically denies that Allah is the father. Surah 112, verses 1 through 4. In fact, in Surah 518, it says this, the Quran tells Muslims to rebuke Jews and Christians for calling God their loving father because humans are just things that God has created, end quote. The same is the case when we consider the doctrine of the Trinity. As you know, Islam roundly condemns the worship of the Trinity, Five Seventy-Three, and they establish in its contrast its own core principle, the Tawhid, the absolute oneness of God. Tawhid specifically denies the Trinity, so much so that it's safe to say the doctrine of God, that is theology proper in Christianity, that's the, the, what we call it, the doctrine of God, theology proper, is antithetical to the doctrine of God in Islam. Well, that probably is going to get me branded as a preacher of hate. Well, I'm in good company because some of you know, if you've paid attention to the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, Christian Broadcasting News, and a number of other sources, a pastor in Germany, Olaf Latzel, got to love that name, right? Especially if you're from a Scandinavian background, Olaf It just ranks up there with Oli and Sven, you know, and Lena. But Olaf Lotso is the pastor of the historic St. Martin's Church in Bremen, Germany. Why is it a historic church? Because in 1679, St. Martin's pastor, man, by the name of Joachim Neander, and I probably butchered his first name, and I apologize for that, wrote a wonderful song, praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he art thou sal- thy salvation. You know, all who hear, now to his temple draw near, right? A wonderful, wonderful old hymn. This is the church that Pastor Latzel has the privilege of preaching in and shepherding. But he ran afoul of his Lutheran clergy friends and also the city fathers in Bremen, Because he dare said some of the same things I just read to you just a moment ago. And Letzel stated in an interview with CBN News, said this, If you ask a Muslim, does your God have a son? He would say, no. Our God, though, the Christian God, has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. So they cannot be the same. Lasso continued, if you speak out loudly and clearly about the truth of the Bible, that there's only one way to heaven, and this way is Jesus Christ, there's only one God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and there's no other God beside him, you have a problem. And he has a problem. Seventy pastors from across Germany went to Bremen to protest against him and accuse him of hate speech, as did the governing authorities in the city of Bremen. And those pastors called for a censuring of Pastor Latzel because he simply spoke the truth. He didn't say anything disparaging about the God of Islam. He simply pointed out the fact they are not the same God. Now, I hasten to add that Allah is the Arabic name for God. It is. Turn with me for a second, keep a finger in John 14, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I think Christians sometimes miss this, but in Acts 2, we have the account of Pentecost, correct? And we are told, these individuals who are listening to what's going on that day, and Luke gives us a rendition of all the cities and regions where they're from. And we pick up in verse 11, towards the end of this list, after he's talked about Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea, and Cappadocia, right? Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, literally Arabians. We hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. Now, what do you suppose those Arabians, those Arabs, how did they refer to God? Six hundred years before Muhammad came on the scene, how did they refer to God? Allah. That is the Arabic name. So that part is correct. But the God of the Quran is not the God of Holy Scripture. He's not. And for that, in our world, in this pluralistic society, can't we all get along? The passage we're going to look at tonight is incredibly offensive. We don't have to be purposely offensive. We just simply have to believe the truth. And we will find ourselves being offensive in this culture today. This text is quite clear. Our our problem isn't with it, what it means, because that's also very clear. The problem, the, the rub, the fallout, the ramifications, the objection, the odiousness of it in its application to you and to everyone around us is that it says what it says. And if you believe it, you are saying something even if you don't verbally say it about the rest of the world and the other religions. But before we get to that, I think we, we have some slides and you have in your your notes, or you should I just click it at the screen or up here? Up here, that work? There we go. This was compiled by Ed Yeager Some of you remember Ed and Bell. Uh, they, they were workers, missionaries in the beautiful country of Iran for over 20 years before the revolution, and then uh, some other things, and uh, came to settle here in the Gallatin Valley for a while. Taught at the Bible College, and I use this by permission. And this is just real quick. If you want to look at your, your notes, if you want to look up here, you, you can. But this, this is how he is presented. This is not a misrepresentation. And I'm not here tonight to speak about picking on Muslims. I'm, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender tonight. Not because I want to be offensive, but because if we believe the text, we're going to be. We're going to be. So this is how the Allah, the God of Islam, is seen. He is absolutely transcendent. Unknown, completely unknowable. So there's really no theology proper to study the nature and character of God, to really know Him in His totality, in His fullness. Unlike the God of Scripture, He says, Come, let us reason together. Know Me. Jesus said in John 7, 3, 17, 3, that they may know You. That's eternal life, to have that intimate relationship. Right? Natural revelation does not exist Man cannot comprehend God in nature and history Or through the conscience or cause and effect What theology Islam has is usually negative We can't say what he's like But we can only say what he is And so as Ed would point out A personal knowledge of God is a metaphysical impossibility We'll contrast that with Yahweh The God of the Bible He's transcendent but eminent Right? This talks about his, his attributes His perfections the qualities about him. He's chosen to make himself known to men and women through the ages. He holds men and women responsible for what they can know. Okay? And he's chosen to reveal himself to the world directly and perfectly through Jesus Christ. Right? That's what the Gospel of John is all about. And so a personal knowledge is an absolute necessity. Well, let's contrast it one more time. Allah, as understood in Islam, is absolutely impersonal. He's not a person or a spirit and has no personality or nature or character. Emotions, feelings, affections, why? That would be a weakness. And he is is all-powerful. To say that we're created in his image is to commit the worst kind of blasphemy. Almost as bad as saying that God has a son, and that son is Jesus Christ. So how do you have a personal relationship with that God? How do you have that, a personal relationship with him? Well, Yahweh, God's eternal spirit existing in three persons. He displays every characteristic and quality of personality. He manifests every emotive response in his relationships. We are created in his image, as he says in the very first book of the Bible. He created male, female. He created them in his image. So we can communicate with him and enjoy him forever. And so it is an eternal reality that we can have a personal relationship with God. We could actually know him and talk with him and interact and read his word. Allah is absolutely sovereign. He is free to do whatever he wishes. Moral attributes are not applicable in him sense this would limit his freedom of sovereign will. He can say whatever he wishes. He's not bound to his word since this would limit his sovereignty. Now, that that may strike you as odd or like, wait a second, that seems inconsistent. You can't place limits on him. Think with me about this for a moment. What is one of the things, it's not that all Muslims agree with this, but some do agree with the fact that if you die in jihad, that you go to paradise, right? And there are 72 virgins waiting for you. That's what some believe. What if he changed his mind? What if you studied, you memorized the entire book, your entire life, you tried to live a life, but you got it at the end of the age, and he changed the test questions. You say, well, he can't do that. Well, yeah, he can. He can. That's that's the point of this. He can change the agreement. But I had a contract. Doesn't matter. He can change it. Because you can't you can't place a limit on him. So he is capricious in his actions and arbitrary in his decisions. Is it grossly that way? Not necessarily so, no. But nonetheless, that is a possibility, right? So, God has purposely limited himself. How so? Perfectly righteous, just and holy. He cannot sin or do that which would violate his own moral nature. Okay? He won't do that. He's true and reliable and trustworthy and faithful. It's what it says in Scripture. That's who he is. He's absolutely unchangeable and immutable, as those passages suggest. So then, a personal trust and reliance on God is an indispensable prerequisite. And you can know, as John said in 1 John 5, that you have eternal life. Not wish, not think so, not hope so, but that you may know that you have that life. No, I'm going to ask you the obvious. Are they the same? And I think you know the answer. They, they can't possibly be the same. But if you're not convinced, let's look at John 14, if you will. And again, very quickly, we'll pick up in verse 5 because this is part of the context. And Thomas said to him, this is after Jesus had said, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he was going to go prepare a mansion for them, a place for them to be. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him, and you have seen him. What did he say? He said what he says, right here. He spoke in response to Thomas, who seemed to contradict what Jesus had already said in verses 1 through 4. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, How long have I been with you you haven't figured this out? Although he said that somewhere else, didn't he? But he does say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. As Merle Tenney said, this affirmation of Jesus is one of the great philosophical utterances of all time. He did not say that he knew the way, he did not say that he knew the truth, and he did not say that he knew the life, nor that he taught them, and he did not make himself to ex- an, an exponent of a new system. No, what he declared was that he himself is the final key to all the mysteries of all time. End quote. So what does this mean? Well, literally he said, Ego e me. I. I am. I myself am. What? The way. The odos, the road, the path, the street, the avenue, the highway. That is what I am. He's the way between the present of man's failure and the future of God's design for mankind. As you know, there's a gulf that separates us from this holy, righteous God. And it's unbridgeable. Thomas recognized it, and so he despaired to a certain degree. He said, how do we know the way? How can we get there? And Jesus said, I am the way. For in him, man is brought back to God, and through the living way, he achieves his true or her true destiny. He is, in fact, the only way by which men and women may come to the Father. There is no other way. If this seems offensively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate word, the revealer of the Father, If God has no avenue of communication with mankind apart from his word, incarnate or otherwise, mankind has no avenue of approach to God apart from the same word, who became flesh and dwelt among us. And why did he do that? In order to supply such an avenue of approach. Jesus' claim understood in light of the prologue to the gospel is inclusive and not exclusive. He says back in John 1, He is the light of the world, and in this life is the life of mankind. The Savior came, not just for you or for me, He came for mankind. That's why John writes at the end of his gospel in John 20, verse 31, These things have been written in order that you, whoever reads this, whatever color of skin, whatever country, whatever language, whatever people group, whatever it is, you believe on Him and have eternal life, that you might have eternal life. The only person it excludes is the non-believer the one who refuses to bow his or her knee before him. That's why the apostles could say in Acts 4.12, There is no other name under heaven by which mankind must be saved. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. No other name but the name of the Lord by which we can be saved. But he didn't only say that he is He himself was the way, he also said, I myself am the truth. Aletheia, you know what your name means, don't you? What a wonderful, what a wonderful name your parents gave you. It speaks of certainty. It speaks of truth. And as many people like to say, well, all truth is God's truth. As all life is God's life. But God's truth and God's life are incarnate in Jesus. He is the personification of the truth. In Mark 12, 14, Mark says of him, He spoke the way of God in truth. In John 1, 17, truth comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through him. And as one author said, Truth is the scariest commodity in the world. All the philosophers of all time have sought for it, but none have attained all of it. No one mind is great enough to grasp it. No one personality was pure enough to achieve it by conduct. Truth is neither an abstract system of integrated propositions, nor is it an impersonal ethic contained in many rules. It is both reality and the ethic expressed in a person who is more flexible than legal rigidity, an incomprehensible abstraction, and who is, notwithstanding, unchanging and consistent. Christ spoke with final authority in words adapted to human understanding. Truth, at the end of the day, truth is found in Jesus. To know him is to know truth. This truth is not something to be contemplated, but it is a divine reality to be embraced and to be lived. End quote. To know him is to know truth. And it's not just something for navel-gazing and contemplation. It's not just something for philosophizing over a cup of chai or a good coffee. It is to be embraced and to be lived. And that's what he asks of you and me. And so not only is he the way and the truth, Notice he also said, I am the life. Zoe, right? Physical life versus death. Supernatural, the opposite of what is subjected to dying and destruction. That's why we see the contrast in John 3, 36, where it says, those who don't believe are condemned. They will be destroyed. That's why we find in 1 John 5, 11 and following when he says, in the testimony of God is this, that he has given us life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son of God has life. But he who does not have the Son does not have life. These things, these truths I've written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. Not just physical life, but life for all eternity not just life where you breathe and you go about your daily business but a life that has meaning and purpose it has a future and a hope that life he offers to all in Jesus Christ that life in him was life and it was the light of men in john 668 after his wonderful teaching on how oh, he was going to be crucified in his body and his blood, and some thought he literally meant that they were going to gnaw on him, you know, cannibalism, and some have taken that spiritually into the church. Jesus, no, he's talking about his. Unless you embrace that, my crucifixion. And someone said, "Man, I don't like this teaching." And so, it said many disciples walked with him no more. He turned to the twelve and said, "Will you leave also?" And Peter said to him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Your words are what give life to the sin-sick soul, the dying man or dying woman. It are your words, O oh Lord, that bring newness of life in him alone. This idea of life, the way it was a means of teaching, of reaching the Father. Truth defined the righteous standards of the way. Life bespeaks of a dynamic which could make attainment possible. All through the Gospel of John, life describes the principle of spiritual vitality that originates with God and that lifts men and women out of sin and to him. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. John 1.4 Thus, my brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a system, a philosophy, nor a ritual, nor a code of laws. It is the impartation of a divine vitality. In the words of Thomas Akempis, quote, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowledge. Without life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life which you must hope In, I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life truth, life blessed, life uncreated. If you remain in my way, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And you shall lay hold of eternal life. But there's a catch, isn't there? Notice what else he said. "Not only I myself am the way, I myself am the truth, and I myself am the life. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. You know what? Do you translate that in any other language? You know what it means? No one. Now, you might say it in Spanish, nada, right? Nobody, none, zippo, right? You know, chances of that are slim and none, and slim just left town on the train. I mean, however you want to say it, it says the same thing. No one person of themselves on their own comes to the Father except through me literally it could read this way if not by me no one goes to the father except through but through negative continue. doesn't happen unless you do it through me there you go there you go So, we ask this. I think here's, here's the application. Do you believe it? Now, I know that sounds like an odd odd question, but think think back to Brian's sermon this morning, though too. You can know a lot of Bible truth. The question is, how much truth do you know? The question is, how much of it do you believe? Do you believe it? Right? You, You have to decide. Do Do I really believe this? Because I, I'm here to tell you, this directly impacts the next, next two parts in the outline. It, it really does. Because if you don't believe it, then the next two probably aren't, well, one might be part, kind of a problem. And the other one probably won't be a problem for you, right? But if you believe this, you, you, you need to know, it's not just enough to believe it. You and I need to live it out, right? So it's not just, do I believe it? Will, will I live it out? What do you mean? I, I'm, I'm getting to that. Just, just bear with me. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you and I do, it ought to directly affect our lives, uh, how we live. You see, we, we can get our knickers in a twist, right? about all the political issues. and I'm not saying that some of them are important. I'm not saying don't vote. Okay, don't, don't hear me say that. We can, we can worry about what the Supreme Court does or doesn't do, whether it's here in Montana, it's in, in D.C., right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no government will save you. Okay, they, they can't save you. They might save you from a war. They might save you from some diseases, possibly, if you've got somebody who knows what they're doing. The, the good doctors that we have, the men and women in the medical profession, might be able to do some of that. But at the end of the day, they can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Right? And even if you got all the laws passed that you wanted to get passed, which I think that would absolutely take a miracle of God, To have that happen, okay? Right? They have to recount the votes in Bozeman a bunch of times to get that to happen. What do you do with the sin sick heart? Because you know, even in the millennial kingdom, if our understanding of that is correct, at the end, Satan's going to be released, and what's going to happen with the number of people who lived under the rule of the Messiah? They're going to rebel. How does that work? It takes an act of God, not an act of Congress. And so you and I need to live out that Christ's life. We need to be like him. Let those around us know that you and I have been with Jesus. Remember that statement in Acts 4, when, when the council looked at Peter and John, the disciples, and they perceived that they had been with Jesus. Beloved, can people say that about me? Can they say that about you? That you appear to be someone who's been with Jesus? That he has rubbed off on you and I enough, or at least rubbing off enough of the old you and me, that some of the new is starting to shine through? They can see it really doesn't matter if you don't believe it in the first place, because why would you even make the effort? I mean, that, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? If I don't believe what he said, that he is the way, why would I want to live that way for others? It, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? But we need to live it out. Treat people the way he treated them. Let, let them know there is a way, that there is ultimate truth. And that there is real life now and eternally. Let them see Jesus. Not churchianity or religiosity. Let them see Jesus. And then you and I, we're going to need... Are you willing and able to defend it? You're going to have to defend this. You're going to have to defend this statement. Or you're going to have 70 pastors show up, and they're going to condemn us for hate speech. Right? Well, you know those those guys here at Grace, mean, they're just haters. Because they said, Jesus, you know, Allah, and and, uh, Jehovah, and and Krishna, you know, they're not all the same. Beloved, speaking the truth isn't hateful. You can say it in a hateful way. You could say it in a way that's offensive. But to speak the truth in love, that's not hate. How is it hate to tell somebody, you you know there's an end coming, and we have an answer for that? You You know that thing inside of you that you keep looking for hope and meaning and purpose? You can find it in Jesus. Right? And so Do you believe it? Do you want to live it out? And are you going to be able to defend it theologically? I think that's on there. Culturally? Practically? And again, you're you're going to hear, that's hateful. You you've just said 90% of of the people in the world are on their way going to hell. Right? You you just said that. You know, we, we we all want love. Isn't that what the Beatles said? 50 years ago, all you need is love. And we all got it. They went, they went to India to discover all you need is love, man. And, and we have so much in common. How can we want to divide? Well, may I remind you of a couple, couple pretty important things here? Um, the key word or key idea in Islam is, is not love. It's submission. That's what the term means. Submitter. It's not about love. And and, and frankly, now I know I'm I'm going to take it from some of you, but bear with me. Christianity is not about love, but about forgiveness, which comes out of the love God has for us. Yep, I understand that. But really the message is forgiveness. I hope you know that. For God so loved the world, yeah, I get that, that he gave his one and only son to die for us, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved us. He wanted to forgive us. It cost, it was a price. And he gave a son. That's the message. At its basis, that is the message. What, what about Buddhism? Buddhism is not about love. It's about escaping suffering. I mean, distill it down. How can I escape the suffering in this world? Right? I'm going to be like Yoda and Obi-Wan and Anak and all the rest of them. I just want to be part of uh, the rocks and the trees and the forest. And, you know, just want to get out of this. Well, no, that's actually Hinduism. It's not about love, but it's escaping the illusion of the world. Okay. The, we could all be wrong, but we all can't be right. I hope you know that. We could all be wrong. I could be wrong. don't think so, but I could be but we can't all be right. You you, you can't. So even if one group, let's just say the Buddhist get it right, You, you do realize, or they you want to embrace it, it still leaves just about everybody else out, unless you become a Buddhist. I mean you you do get that, correct? But it seems to baffle most people in our society. It just, it's just, well, you're saying 90% of the world's wrong. Well, I joined one of those groups. We got people over in the Middle East killing people like you and me and people like them to a certain degree because they don't agree with them. And, and I can anticipate the question that somebody might have, well, Christians have killed people. We're, we're going to get to that. Some might say, well, it's, it's just intolerant. Well, can, can I do this? I came across this the other day. This is, what, this is what it means, the top. We, okay, we agree to disagree. You, you're entitled to your opinion, I'm entitled to mine, we'll disagree. But this is what it's becoming in our world. Well, you'll just have to agree that you have to agree with me, or I'll call you intolerant. How do I know that? Talk to some of the people who have that bumper sticker on their car. And you say, you mean you actually believe Jesus is the only way? That's probably going to be about the first word that's going to come out of the mouth. You guys are so intolerant. You're so bigoted. You know, I I think all religions are I, You know, I've talked to God. God doesn't care what you believe just as long as you believe. Well, first, how do you know God doesn't care? Did he tell you? I don't want to mock it, but I mean, did God tell you that? I, I must have missed that revelation. Right? Because as I read this book, that's not what the book says. Truth. And grace came in Jesus Christ. We sang about that tonight. So it's not intolerant to tell you, I think there is a right way as opposed to a wrong way. That's not hate. If I had the cure for every cancer, it would be hatred if I didn't give it to you or offer it to you. But if I offer it to you, do you hate me because I give you the cure? I offer you the cure? You hate me for it I don't think my logic is the problem I don't think my offer's is the issue I don't, I don't think my belief's the problem here. It's a sincere offer of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well we see these bumper stickers around town well oh, not that i 'm sorry that's the next one coming up. Uh, I, could, I couldn't, couldn't help this. One, because of Jack Nichols. He just looks like he's deranged, right? Okay, He just does. He's got that kind of good, evil kind of guy thing going. Think Christianity is insane? It presupposes, what? A standard by which to judge insanity. You don't think it's true? What's your, what's your ultimate source? Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, animism? Grandmaism, I mean, because your grandma, what's your basis? How how, how do you do it? Without God, how do you know what normal is? I I forgot who it was who used to attend here at church. Oh, it was Matt Smith. Had the thing, normal people scare me. Let that sink in for a moment. Or the one that says, "I, I am normal on my planet, right? What's the standard? Is there an absolute truth or isn't there? And is, is there hope with that? Some of you have seen this bumper sticker. I like that one? Okay. If, if you can't read it, obviously the crescent is Islam, right? Peace. That's for, for all of you who remember the 60s, right? And if you remember it, we, we'll need to talk about that afterwards. The E-sign, gay rights, Judaism, correct? Right? Paganism, Taoism, Christianity, and a question mark for those who just aren't sure yet. And so, uh, my, because my wife is a better Christian and has more sense than I do, she won't let me print these and put them on cards. Uh, actually, I'm not aster, that's I just said that for some humor. But one... The Crescent wants to kill gays, Jews, and Christians and peace lovers, right? So, if it got its way, Taoism and pagans would convert or die also. Peace can only offer nonviolent resistance to them. Problem is, they have no trouble suppressing dissent with violence. So, peace would be wiped out. They've been suppressed by all religions, which makes it intolerant of Muslims, Jews, and Christians, some. Judaism is threatened by annihilation, not only by Islam, but also by peace, who support Muslims over the Jews. Pagans and Taoism are statistically insignificant, but needed to help make the sticker make sense, right? (laughs) Got, Got to appreciate the humor of the author. Christianity is who the stickers directed at, because it poses no threat to the others. Now, some are going to quickly say, what about the Crusades? And what, again, I'll get to that in a moment. The problem here isn't just, what about the crusades? You know, there's, there's been bad things done by Christians. You know, you Christians, you, you know, all the objections that are there. Um, might I add, where did Jesus ever issue, issue orders for a jihad that would kill infidels? Where did Jesus ever tell you to persecute gays and lesbians? Where did Jesus ever call on you to persecute the drunk, the down and out? Right? Where? See, the issue isn't that some Christians have done bad things, because unfortunately they have. The question is, who is Jesus? And what did he say? See, the question question about Islam is, who is Muhammad? What did he do? And what did he say? What does the religion teach? Not necessarily all of the adherents, but what does it say? What does Buddhism say? What does Hinduism say? What does paganism say? What does it say? And that's why we come back To the very point of John 14 6. Is He the way and the truth and the life? Is He the only way? No one, nobody in this room, nobody on the other side of town, nobody to the uttermost parts of earth can get to the Father except through Him. Because if that is true, you and I have a message to preach, and more importantly, one to live. Rather than being worried about gay marriage, right? This issue and that issue. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying don't have an opinion, an informed and biblical one. I'm saying rather than being so exercised, sometimes when we talk about these issues, we come across as though we hate people. People for whom Christ died. Beloved. And yes, Jesus said some things that are going to make some people feel uncomfortable. One of them is in this passage. Some of them are in other parts of the the Gospels, where he said to the woman in adultery, Go and sin no more. But he said, Neither do I condemn you. Right? We've got to balance those things out. We have to live this truth out in our life. So that when we see this, and we're called intolerant or hateful, say, help me understand how I'm hateful, and I'm telling you about Jesus. Have you ever read about him? I'm not talking about what some TV preacher said, or something you read in some wacko book somewhere. I'm asking, have you ever read the book? Have you looked at the Gospels? Did you see how he treated people? Did you So you you want to tell me this is still a religion of hate? I'm not saying there are people who practice that, okay? I'm just saying, is Jesus a hater? Yeah, sin. He hates sin. But beyond that, really? Who did he eat with? Yeah, but you know bad company corrupts corrupts good morals, pastor. Let's balance it. Let's balance. I understand that. But I also understand the fact that he went to Zacchaeus' home. He was in a Pharisee's home, and a woman of ill repute, right? Washed his feet, kissed his feet. So much so, the people were shocked. They said, oh, oh, whoa. Oh. If he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. Right? Does that, that freak you out a little bit? That's, that's not a Jesus we usually share with other people too much, do we? I'm not saying give people a pass. I'm saying let them see Jesus in you and me. Let, let them hear that Jesus loves them. They still may hate you. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say they're going to like you. They're going to just warm up to you and think, oh, man, you know, you're so great. You're so wonderful. Thank you for telling me I'm going to hell. Okay? I'm saying that at all. But I'm seeing I think we can do a better, better job. So now you know why my resolution for 2016 is believe and be like Jesus. I don't think I've done a very good job of the latter part. Been pretty good at the first part, at least I thought it was, but then I look at my life and think, you know, you say you believe it, but I see it. Proof's in the pudding, buddy. So you don't have to try and be countercultural. You, know, you, you do realize that, right? You, just by saying, I believe Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one, regardless of color, politics, nationality, sexuality, economic status, church affiliation, religious belief, physical stature, can go to the Father, but through him. Right? That's going to get you in enough trouble with a bunch of people on the screen. And trying to be like him, living him out, his words and actions. And if you do, and I do, we will be countercultural, right? I don't have to start a movement, don't have to print T-shirts, don't need to get a bumper sticker, as much as I like reading them. All you have to do is believe and be like Jesus. You won't have to look for trouble. It will find you. There will be tribulation. There will be persecution. And it will find you. It will know your address. So let me ask you in closing tonight, do you really want to be countercultural? Do you, do you really want to be like the early church and turn the world upside down for Jesus? That I would encourage you to join me and make your New Year's resolution. Be a daily resolution to believe him and be like him with everybody we come in contact with. Will you stumble and fall? Probably. I probably will, too. And if you don't believe it, just ask my wife and my daughter. I probably will. But that is my goal for the year. Speak the truth in love. Love sinners. Because I'm not a former one. I'm just a forgiven one in Christ. Father, we come before you tonight and we realize that sometimes we have preached Jesus well, but we may not have always lived him very well. And I know it almost sounds candy-coated to say if we just believe him and be like him, we will get a hearing. But I also know there's going to be trouble. Even as we say it as gently as we can, we say it with as much empathy, and compassion, and with tears flowing down her face, we still will be seen as intolerant and hateful and spiteful. But Father, I pray, as Peter said in First Peter 4, that when they speak ill of you, it's not because we've done something wrong, that we've broke the law, or that we've sinned, but it's because we've been righteous before you. Father, I pray that you'd help me be that way this year. Starting with my own family, my neighbors, the people I'm privileged to work with each day, to be more like Jesus. That So even when we have to speak truth and say, yeah, I do believe he is the way, the truth, and life, and no one can get to heaven apart from him. That it's not said with meanness. It's not said with contempt. It's not said with bitterness or any, any hint of hate. But of the heart of the shepherd, when he looked on that group of people and he had compassion for them, when he looked at the rich young ruler and he had compassion for him. And even though Jesus was that way, they still nailed him to a cross. Father, help us this year, each day, to look like your son more and more, to grow in his grace and knowledge for your glory and the good of souls of men and women who may hate us, but as your spirit does his work, will eventually come to love you. And that's why we do it the glory of your name and we ask it in Christ powerful name Amen